I'm Peter from The Daily Rios. And I'm Eric from Longbox Review. And this is episode 24 of Peter and Eric's Legion Project Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Legion Project Podcast. This is episode 24, and I am your host, Eric. And I am your other host, Peter. And we are here today to discuss issue 24 of the third volume of the Legion of Superheroes title, sometimes referred to as the Baxter Run. How you doing today? Good. Doing good. Doing pretty good. Uh, excited to talk about this issue. Excited to wrap up the who is sensor girl mystery within the next two three issues excited that we've hit issue 24 which is basically the end of year two that's right as we approach what the beginning and we're we're, we're pretty close to almost starting year three of the podcast <laughs> right right that's okay i'm sorry yeah yeah this is um this i'm i'm getting i'm realizing that i'm getting to the end of comics that i know really well so i think post who is censor girl there's a stretch of comics that i remember reading i think but i don't remember them well so uh, i'm kind of excited for year three and beyond because they're going to be there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff outside of like the universo project or superboy story that i'm like hmm i don't remember this i don't remember sequences i don't remember dialogue so i'm excited i'm excited yeah well and similar uh because as i think i've said this before on, on a few occasions now but i am currently in issues which i have never read and so all of this uh the, the stuff that we're in right now and then up to the Superboy stuff that's coming up, uh, all new to me as far as I can recall. So very cool. yeah, it's I'm I'm coming into this blind and uh, uh, very excited about it. Great. By the way, happy tenth anniversary of podcasting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you should tell them about the episode you just put out. Yeah, so uh, at the time of this recording, I just released, uh, shortly after the anniversary, my, my 10 years of podcasting, uh, episode 182, which is uh, listener feedback, or listener questions, sorry, uh, that's the name of the episode. So yeah, I had uh, some uh, wonderful listeners, uh, and Peter was one of those, so thank you, Peter. Those, those were really great questions. Sure. sure. Uh, so I got, I got some questions and, and uh, answered them for well over an hour. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess, uh, uh, I, I rambled on for quite a bit, uh, there at the beginning about just kind of podcasting and, and the show in general, and then answered the questions. So, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of questions, uh, that I had to really think about. And, uh, it was interesting to discover the answers myself. And, uh, you know, cause you know, some of the questions are like, you know, 
uh, it was easy to answer. Uh, there were obvious answers to them from, from, from my perspective. But then things like some, uh, some of the questions that you asked, Peter, were like, hmm, that, that's really interesting. I, I've never thought of those things before or, or, uh, or, or thought about them in, in that way. So it was really uh, a process of discovery for me as well. So it was so much fun. I, I, I feel like I should do that more often. <laughs> Look, you're not a podcaster unless you spend 20 minutes talking about podcasting. <laughs> Yeah, but I felt like I was kind of pushing uh, pushing my luck there. <laughs> I mean, I got into you know, geeky stuff about microphones, so come on. I, You know, it's like I said, those of us who were there during the Wild West days, we had to talk about that stuff because we didn't have, you know, podcatchers and, uh, you know, pre, pre-iTunes days and all that, you know, and then even post, it was like, what server are you with? Who are you with? What's cheap? Let's let's yeah. put all our stuff together on an RSS feed, you know. Yes. Nowadays everybody has it easy. Yeah, that's true. And you know, and I, of course I came into it right at the uh, like just, maybe just after the beginning of that the easy phase that was coming in. So, you know, uh, I, I didn't have to to do a lot of work. But man, it was it was it's been so much fun. Uh and and you know, I talked about this in the episode, but you know, that that opened the door to things like this, the Legion project and talking with you and, and a bunch of other people too. That's it's, it's been that, that, that aspect of it, you know, not just talking about the the subject matter that we, we talk about week to week or month to month, year to year, but just having conversations with people has been one of the, the, I guess the blessing of, of doing the show. So I, you know, I, I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, speaking of feedback, can we jump into some of the stuff that we've gotten about some of our previous episodes? Mm-hmm. So I have two here, one from Chris Charlton Hero. Several thoughts about issues 18 through 21. And, uh, you know, as always, we read everything, but I'm just going to pick out some select things here. He says, it appears DC was mandated with some of these issues with selling some action figures when the Legion went up against Tyr and Taraz. So he's talking about the two-part controller uh, sequel story. I would have loved this issue as a kid, as it was all action, and you get to see the Legion in combat. That said, I never did buy that Tyr superpower action figure, but now I suddenly want to hunt it down. Go figure. Their marketing ploys still work. How about a Taraz World Action playset? I feel that was a missed opportunity to take my childhood money. And he says, the backup features are hit and miss. However, the Invisible Kid backup in issue 19 was better than the main book. They made me care about this hero for once. They had a great concept to build characters with these mini stories, but many of them are included as page-filling laughs like the Dream Girl and White Witch secret birthday story in issue 20. Come on. The high point was the Censor Girl mystery. To me, it was clear they shifted endings to that saga midstream to the eventual reveal. As a kid, I didn't realize how blatant they were in pointing Supergirl as Censor Girl. It's quite jarring, especially when you consider the payoff. It would be interesting to read the hot takes in the future Legion letter pages on uh, once she is revealed. And I think we've been talking about that quite a lot in these past episodes about where we felt 
the storyline might have shifted away from it being Supergirl. We've read some text pages about how they did construct the story around the idea that Sensor Girl is Supergirl, but obviously they had to change that and go to Plan B. Uh, so we've been we've been kind of talking about that, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about that for the next two three issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Chris has some thoughts on the new Legion book. Uh, he says, like Peter, I am the old man kicking the kids off of the lawn. This is not my Legion. This is similar to when Marvel revealed their new New Warriors team to the absolute disapproval of the comics audience. Uh, not being a man baby about it, but if you avoided calling the new team by the classic character names, this would not have been as polarizing out of the gate. You have a new legion here full of new diverse characters, and you sandbag them with fan animosity even before we met them. This will be the cosplay legion for me. I just asked the question, why is it considered high crime in D.C. to reboot a property and retain its original elements in history? It feels that there is a concerted effort to not give fans a property of a property what they want. We are dealing with a time-traveling group. We could literally meet all incarnations of the Legion, past, present, and future. So why not give us some classic team mixing with the new recruits? It's money left on the table. Long live the Legion Project podcast, Chris. <laughs> well, that's a very interesting idea, uh, the mixing of the the various versions of them. Um, and I keep coming back to Peter every time we talk about that, the, the new Legion book, uh, the current Legion book, I should say. Uh, you, when we, were, when we first talked about this, the idea when they announced it and whatnot, you made some comments about uh, you know, go beyond what we know and, and, you know, maybe even go another thousand years in the future. I can't remember exactly what you said, but, but yeah, it, it, uh, it surprises me that they don't, I guess, think beyond the comfortable, the, the known, but I mean, it is, it is a publishing property with, with IP and, and fan service. I mean, they can't, you can't really get around that. So, uh, unfortunately, how many times do either Marvel or DC actually try something new and and invest in it and help develop it before they just chuck it because it, the sales aren't there and they go back to the familiar? So I, you know, from a business standpoint, I see why why companies do that. But as a fan, yeah, I would lo- I would love to see something new and different. But I don't know that that if I were you know, if it were, if it were, uh, what, 15 year old me, 20 year old me, if I would feel the same way I, I do now, of course, I, I, I don't want to keep reading the same stories and characters over and over and over. Right. Right. I do like that, that idea, the notion of mixed generations. And I feel that's something you could have done even by jumping it to the future. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of these characters are long lived. Or they would have had kids, or they would have, you yeah, know, exactly, exactly, because then some of the characters who are, you know, uh, a certain point in their lives now would become would take on a different role in that uh, in the the with the future legionnaires type thing. Mm-hmm. You know, see, I'm already starting to 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 draft the story in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on here. We we got an email from Mike A. And Mike says, uh, this is about 
last issue, issue number 23, a couple little snippets here from Mike's email. I was a little surprised at how violently Monel reacted to the prospect of going back to the Phantom Zone, but sometimes in fiction, a little over-the-topness is needed to make the scene and story more exciting. It would be pretty boring in his re- if his reaction was just moping around. Either way, the bottom panel of page two is great. One of my favorite panels in an issue full of good panels. I really like the scene in the bar on Rimbor. It had that Moss Isley cantina feel. I didn't even notice the little Easter eggs. I love and collect these kind of unofficial crossovers, such as the Rutland Vermont Halloween Parade issues published by Marvel in DC in the early 70s in issues of Justice League of America, Thor, and Avengers, among others. They all had the cross thread of the parade, which featured unofficial appearances by the competitor company's characters. I just recently discovered an unofficial appearance of Clark Kent and Lois Lane in Thor 341. Regarding the scene with Lightning Lass and Shrinking Violet in the in the Legion Cruiser, I think the reason Ayla makes an out-of-character comment like, or am I being silly, is because she lets her guard down when she's with Violet because of her apparent affection and doesn't mind being vulnerable around her. I know that hindsight is twenty twenty, but it feels like their impending relationship is pretty apparent, apparent reading it now. Levin, Levitz knew what he was doing. All in all, this has been my favorite issue so, so far in the Baxter run. I think I would have to agree with that. And there's something in this discussion that we're going to have today that um, I'll bring up more about the Vi Lightning Lass uh, relationship. Oh, good. We'll definitely talk about that. All right, great. Did you ever read those crossover things that he's talking about, the Rutland Parade? I, I have heard about it. But no, I, I don't think I've ever read them specifically. Yeah, I I think I glanced through them at one point or another, or or I've seen images online certainly, and uh, uh, that little bit of uh, I love when they do stuff like that. Like they did it in New Teen Titans and the DN Agents. <laughs> yes, <laughs> where they the Titans fought a group called the Recombatants or something like that. And the DN agents fought, I think their name was Project Youngblood. And uh, they were clearly aping the other teams. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like an unofficial crossover. Well, and as I recall, it was intentional. They, the, right. uh, both, both teams uh, on each book knew that they were doing this. So uh, I remember at the time when those issues came out, and I, I, did, I did buy both, both of those issues where each team's analogs appeared, there was a lot of I guess fan outrage. How dare you copy uh, these characters? It's so blatant, and you know all this stuff. And it's like, well, chill, chill, guys. We we did that on purpose. It was it was a it was a nod to each other. So um, I thought that was really interesting. Sell some books. That's right. <laughs> well, if you want to send us feedback, please do. You can uh, email me, Peter at thedailyrios.com. And if you'd like to send it to me, you can send it to longboxreview at gmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts about the issue. We would love to hear your thoughts about future issues, too. So if you're reading ahead in this Who is Sensor Girl mystery uh, and you have thoughts about issues 25 and 26, send it our way because 
we would love to hear your thoughts beforehand, not just afterhand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I'm done with any sort of preamble stuff. If you are, we can jump into the issue if you're ready. I am. All right. Hit us with the synopsis. All right. Issue 24, Suspicion by Paul Levitz, Greg LaRoque, and Larry Malstead, John Costanza, Carl Gafford, and Karen Berger, the usual crew, with a cover by LaRoque and Malstead. So what happens this issue? At the Legion headquarters, Sensor Girl is on the minds of the Legionnaires while she listens in on their conversation. Then a new mystery emerges. Wildfire, Colossal Boy, and Polar Boy head to the Legion Academy to investigate the disappearance of Mentala. On Rimbor, the science police have been called by the bartender from the last issue to let them know the person Violet and Lightning Lass were looking for, Javers, has been found dead. Back at Legion HQ, Brainy is restating his case to Element Lad to find out who Sensor Girl is, and Element Lad comes to a fateful decision. At a club, Quizlet discovers Dream Girl dancing with someone new? And the Emerald Empress severely punishes a Kund who failed to find Validus. She's very serious about reforming the Fatal Five. So we know they are serious about this. We return to the Legion HQ where Magnetic Kid, Polar Boy, and Tellus are discussing Sensor Girl. And in deep space, Shadowlass and Monal are spending some quality time together. Mon is still fearful that Brainy's latest cure is only temporary, and Shady tries her best to put his mind at ease. At Nullport, the science police fail to stop super-powered thief Flare from stealing the fastest starship station there, and Emerald Empress asks her to join the new Fatal Five. Element Lad confronts Sensor Girl, wanting some assurance that eventually she can reveal herself to the team, but Sensor Girl regretfully tells Element Lad that she is resigning, leaving Element Lad wondering if he's just made the worst mistake of his administration. And then finally, in this back-and-forth issue, Ultra Boy and Phantom Girl see Sensor Girl leave, and Joe decides to take a peek behind the mask and discovers nothing. There's no one behind the mask. Mm-hmm. What a ping-pongy issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I have uh, trouble sometimes coming up with a synopsis that doesn't make my head hurt going, <laughs> going back and forth. And we should make mention there's a backup tale, but we'll get to that when we get to that. So you'll get twice the Legion talk today. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, 1.3 Legion talk. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to continue your thoughts? What did you think of said issue? Well, it's 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 funny how, you know, it, it, I have my initial reaction to this was like, especially after, and you know, it's not necessarily fair to do this, but after that, that previous issue, which we both love so much, then to go to this, even though it is finally starting to really address Sensor Girl and who she is, I felt it was, when I first read it, I felt it was really light on really anything. And I think that it's kind of mirrored in in the uh, the constant back and forth nature of, of the structure of the issue. But uh, upon rereading and taking notes on it, and this is one of the things I love about doing this show, is it, you know it's it's not just a, a quick read and I'm done and I and I throw the comic back in 
in my comic box. It's you know really looking at how it's written, what were they what were they trying to accomplish, what what are the themes, uh, what's the characterization, you know, all that all that good story stuff that I that I love about comics. I actually ended up enjoying certain aspects of this uh, in relation to how the Legion are feeling about Sensor Girl. And, um, well, I, I guess basically that's it. I mean, there's some other things in, in some of the, 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 the B stories that are going on here, the, the subplots that Levitz is teasing us with. But, uh, yeah, just really starting to get into the who is Sensor Girl after all this time. Right. I put it down as, and this is something that Levitz mentions in a in the letter column about this issue. So in like issue thirty or whatever, where he calls these vignette issues, and uh, or vignette oriented issues, and it really does feel like it's like another day in the life of the Legion, even though there's some major rumblings going on underneath. Mm-hmm. So there's. It's a little bit of the calm before the storm in my mind. And I've, I've mentioned this now a couple of times already in my mind. I, I knew that this issue 24 was the start of like finishing up the who is sensor girl mystery. Then we go to issue 25 and 26 and, and really we go to 27. So I'm expecting these issues to ramp up in in action. And I don't even mean just fighting. I just mean in terms of like, uh, the stakes. So I thought this one did a nice job of kind of laying everything out, especially after the little bit of break, a little bit of the break that we got last issue. And then we also had like the universal issue that kind of sidestepped the, who is uh sensor girl mystery. Um, and we're kind of like back into it again. And I felt the same way. I read it once and I was like, okay, let me re- let me walk away. I took a whole bunch of notes and then I walked away, read it again. And there is there is some meaty stuff in here that I that I'm uh, excited to talk about. One of the things I have to give props to, I felt like this was the first issue where the collaboration between Levitz, uh, Laroque, and company, but really between Levitz and Laroque, was super strong. And um, there are several art things, um, poses, sequential panels, uh, some layout things that I was like, oh, I, this Levitz I really like. So I appreciated the art. I found myself really kind of looking at some of the artwork as well. And, it, and in a way that was like comfortable and I was very appreciative outside of some of the stuff that we've gotten in the previous issues. So on that level, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. On that level, I was really like, oh, this is this is a really nice looking issue. You know, it may not be up to the level of what we wanted to continue with with Lytle, but just and I think we talked might have talked about this in a previous episode, too, where it's like we're out of the Lytle world anyway, you know, so as a LaRoque issue standing and just comparing LaRoque, LaRoque to LaRoque, this was a, a, a good issue for LaRoque. I would agree with you. I, Generally speaking, I, 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 I that it, it, it is indeed a good LaRoque issue. It, uh, unfortunately, having just 
talked about the previous issue with Lytle and, and how much, especially I, when I did, uh, what, or what I said about uh, how much I love the way that Lytle uh, expresses himself on the page and in, in, in different ways and, and uh, panel layouts and, and stuff like that. This comes across as kind of mm, good, but it's, uh, it's, it's a very serviceable issue, <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and I, I have some, I, I have some issues with uh, some of the, some of the art in here, but you know, those, those are just minor quibbles, but, but yeah, I, I I generally agree with you. I, th- I think this is a, a pretty good LaRocque issue. And I, and I, while I didn't, I didn't really think of it in the terms that you just expressed, but now that you've pointed it out, um, I can, I think I was intuiting it, that collaboration between Levitz and LaRocque, it does feel comfortable now. And, and maybe that's also maybe why I'm downplaying the, the execution of the issue. So I'm I'm very curious what specific things that you you will bring up and and you know maybe that will make me look at this a little differently. Cool. So we'll talk more about the issue. Let's talk about the covers. We have uh, the cover to this issue, and uh, by by Laroque, uh, with Element Lad and other Legionnaires kind of pointing towards Sensor Girl and saying, "Your secret is out, Sensor Girl. We know who you are." And then comparing that to Tales of the Legion of Superheroes, issue number 349 by Kurt Swan, Dan Bulanati, and Anthony Tallinn, which is uh, the title of the issue, Suspicion, and a whole bunch of Legionnaires' eyes just looking down at uh, Sensor Girl. So two Sensor Girl-focused covers a year apart. And um, what are your thoughts? Which one did you like? Well, the uh, the main cover, issue twenty four cover, you know, it's it's one of those classic. Uh, they got they got the, the the dialogue, the word balloons on on the cover, which even by nineteen what eighty six we're at, those were kind of out by that point, I think. So we didn't get a lot of those, especially going forward. I know. So to see this, uh, it it kind of uh, it was it was kind of a surprise. Uh, it, it seemed different, right? So, so you know, and I, I'm always a fan of having covers be basically a, a, a large panel, or or a depiction of a panel in some way. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a total cop out. It's not. It's not. This is not what happens in the issue. So, <laughs> take that as you will. I know some people were were uh, in the letter column that I read. Uh, they were not happy about that. Uh, in fact. Um, there, one of the letter writers complained about about that cover, and uh, Karen in the issue or in the response said, "quote Its intention to be symbolic of the mystery was obviously misleading," <laughs> which I, I just I just thought that was really funny. Yeah, she she stood up and and took the hit for that. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, construction wise, you know, like you said, it's it's a it's a very sensor uh, girl centric cover with her just standing there she she seems very angry on the cover very tense and angry uh it could be just the the accusation it could be you know everything surrounding it i especially love the reactions of the characters behind element lad you got timberwolf brainiac 5 and and uh chameleon boy there and Given how the issue opens on the very first page, the fact that Timberwolf is is there with that that weird kind of 
I don't know. It's like he's giving her the stink eye <laughs> kind of expression. Uh, it makes total sense. And but but the other two, uh, I don't I don't get that reaction whatsoever. I and I know I know this is this is just a a means to express. Uh, you know, as as Karen said, it's symbolic of of the the, the story, the overall approach. Uh, and these are all these characters have something to say about this mystery about Sensor Girl in the issue, so it makes sense they're on there. So you know, it's a very impressive cover. If if I were if I were if this were new on the shelf of, of a comic shop and I walked in and I would see this, I'd go, "Wow, I got to read that! I got to read that comic." So you know, they did a good job there. Especially with how prominent she is. Oh yeah, the the red and white costume with all that yellow, with a blue background. I it is, it's a very striking, especially in terms of the color. And you know, for as much as I love the back issue bin dive, and constantly looking at cover galleries and things like that, the tails cover. Researching this issue and looking up, I don't own that issue. Um, that might be the first time I've ever seen that cover. Because I, I looked at it and went, wow, I don't remember that at all. And it's another image of just Sense of Girl by herself. Considering how the Tales run at this point had to be low in its in its circulation, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Because that, that series is about to be uh, discontinued in another half a year or whatever. I wonder if the reason why I've never seen that issue is just because number one, it's a low print run. Number two, people picked it up because it's like, Ooh, sensor girl, you know, she doesn't get many covers, especially during this time of, of her mystery. So I, uh, I kind of like both. I wish the tales cover was, um, a little more organized, I guess, which is so weird. Cause I usually like, messy things but there's something about that one that i really like and i i do like the the baxter one the angle throws me off a tiny bit again i don't know why it kind of like i should really love that cover but i'm kind of like they both speak to me in different ways and maybe this is another round where if there was a third option i probably would love the third option you know but (laughs) as far as these two go there's something that i really like about the tails cover and everything you said about the Baxter thing, you know, I, I, I'm right there. It's grand Legion tradition to be over the top on a cover like that, you know? Uh, but the tails cover with all the eyes and trying to figure out who, who belongs to which set of eyes and, and for it to be a standalone, like I want that issue. I mean, I want that issue anyway, because it's a hole in my collection, but I want that issue. It, it's interesting you say that because I feel very similarly uh, between these two covers. Uh, normally, when we're talking about the, the two different covers of, of of these stories, I tend to gravitate towards the the, uh, the 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 Baxter book and not the Tales book. But this one, I actually I had a really hard time, and in fact, it, actually in my notes, I have that I prefer the Tales cover just a little bit more. Mm. And, and it's not, it's not necessarily for the art itself. Cause you know, it's, it's Kurt Swan, but, but, um, uh, what'd you say? Dan, uh, mm-hmm. which just goes to show you how, how much an inker. And I, and the reason I'm bringing this up is 
I have some thoughts about the backup ish, uh, uh, tale in in this issue regarding the inker, <laughs> what the inker brings to the storytelling, to the imagery, uh, because. Uh, looking at this, I would not. I would not have guessed this is a necessarily at first glance that this is a Kurt Swan drawn cover. So that aside, though, like you, I I really like all those eyes surrounding her. You know, gazing upon her, trying to see through her, beyond her. Uh, you know, so it goes. It plays the whole the, to the whole idea of her being sensor girl and. And the eyes are the the window to the soul, and how fractured it, it looks. It's it's like a either a broken mirror or a um, like a crystal, a multifaceted crystal where you're seeing all these different images all at once, and you know just just that whole idea of of the of what we're seeing and how we're seeing it, and and it's not it's not uh, uniform in any way. Uh, I really dig that that construction now i think <laughs> here i go again uh, um, making comments about kurt swan if some other artist had done this maybe it would be a little more i don't know ha- have a bit more to it or a bit more power to it or i'd have a, 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 a stronger reaction maybe but but i i really like the construction of that cover if i don't necessarily like the execution of the art does that make sense oh sure sure plus like you got the red and the yellow in in the Legion logo, but then you also have the red and the yellow in the Suspicion title down below. It's a nice little bit of framework there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good. The the way that the the cape off a of sensor girl, the way it f- that curves and flows, I just really like it. <laughs> there's there's something you know. I, I I made some disparaging comments about Kurt Swan, but at the same time, you know, he is doing a nice job at, at conveying lines in, in, in various ways in this, in this, on this cover. So, yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, a character that has a cape, come on, says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Interesting thoughts about the cover there. All right. So let's get into it. Let's get into this story. Um, Sensor girl, who is Sensor girl? I think the biggest takeaway that I took from this issue in that regard with that particular story is a kind of it's almost like it's it's going up against what I remember about reading this when I was a kid and realizing that the the mystery of who is Sensor Girl is is more character driven than what I remember and and I think that speaks to like what you said about your first read of it being kind of light um, because I read it and I thought, okay, I, I, I expected more, you mm-hmm. know, I expected more confrontation or, or a reason for them to be suspicious. Yes, exactly. Right. Well, yeah. And, what, what, sorry. What, what about current events in their lives is prompting them to be so vocal and adamant about her as compared to previous issues where it was just like, well, who is she? And we're suspicious about her powers or, or at least, you know, Timberwolf is. And so, yeah, what, what's the impetus here for this sudden intense scrutiny? And part of it is, I feel like the, the mix of the fatal, the new fatal five trying to form 
that could that could be part of it, you know, like maybe because it's an echo of that previous issue where they went up against Emerald Empress and Persuader and along came Sensor Girl and the Legionnaires heard her heard the Empress give Sensor Girl an invitation. And maybe that's the maybe that's the drive. And there's some of that in this, but I don't think it's as connected narratively as maybe maybe I want it to be. Mm. But I did walk away and think, all right, this isn't a strange story for the Legion. They've had these things before where there's been a mystery character. It's usually in the Silver Age, so the story is all very you know silly and the outcome is wrapped up in in 18 pages. So you have this mystery. It's it's nagging at some of the characters in different ways. Sometimes it's just gossip, like the first couple pages. Sometimes it 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 brings a little bit more of a microscope to the Legion and to the perception of what the Legion is. And I consider that sort of like the magnetic kid tell us story. And then it goes the other way of just being sheer confrontation, like between Brainiac five and chameleon boy. And ultimately it falls into element lads lap. And I love this larger discussion that we have every now and then about element lads leadership, because I think that comes into play here too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's using the who is sensor girl mystery to talk about these other things or to allow these other elements of the Legion to play through. And I agree that by the end I was like, okay, this feels like the, the introduction to the main story, which we'll get next issue, but it still will allow me to talk about some other things, which I'm, I'm always thankful for. So that was a big takeaway. Who is sensor girl is not, necessarily like the Tara Markov story in New Teen Titans where she is firmly a uh, a plant in the, in the in the group you know and and she is there absolutely to create sort of like uh, discord and 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 trying to upset what what the team is that's not what this is that's not what this is and yet it's still happening and I guess if you had to like tell somebody what is the mystery of Sensor Girl, well, it's like, well, it's just sort of like everybody's just uneasy. They're just uneasy. And there's no way to kind of grasp an issue number or like, oh, in this issue, this happens. Or in this issue, they get suspicious because of what she does here. I mean, there's a few things like that, but I, I guess that's the main takeaway. It's hard to kind of like define what this mystery is because it's – it's not the traditional mystery. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, you yeah yeah you, you bring up a very good point. That it's because it's not that traditional aspect. Especially, I hadn't really thought about how <laughs> there are similarity similarities between this and the the Terra Markov mystery in in New Teen Titans, which really wasn't a mystery. Uh, it was to the characters, but it wasn't to to us the readers. And obviously, right, for this one, right. it is. But you know, all we've gotten really so far, as as I recall, are just some uh, speculation on some legionnaires' parts that has been at least for a couple. I'm thinking of Timberwolf and Shrinking Violet specifically, where 
the speculation has now turned into suspicion. Uh, and we've even gotten that before this issue. So, but it's, but it's been so, I guess, small in scope, so subtle that maybe that's, that's what I'm reacting to in terms of, of the, I guess, the weight of the mystery not really being here or the, the importance of it not really being in the issue and or uh, in the buildup to this point. And then suddenly it's like, it's just like uh, boiled over where now it's a big deal. And wait, why? <laughs> so, but, but the, the, the clues, <laughs> pardon me, the clues were there. I mean, we have seen a little bit of that building up. It's just, I guess maybe because of the way that previous issues have focused on other things. And so it's been maybe two or three issues since someone's made a comment about Sensor Girl. Mm. And, and so it makes it makes it uh, feel very disjointed in terms of the overall effect uh, ever since she joined the team. It, it also doesn't help that we haven't really gotten a whole lot of actual interaction with her and other, other Legionnaires. And, you know, and part of that is the way that you construct the mystery so as not to overtip your hand, but she's also been shown to be a a loner, and we actually get a panel in here where she's sitting in her room, uh, presumably by herself. You know, she's listening in on the conversation in in some way, but but she's she's kept herself detached, and that's part of the problem. So you know that works uh, from that perspective. And this has been going on since issue fourteen, mm-hmm. so it. It is 10 issues so far of who is this character, whether it was thrown in our face or not, conversations between the other four new new recruits about her power set. And then there's there's the added thing of, is it her fault? Like, I think that's what Element Lad is struggling with, right? Like, he's like, I'm fine with this, but the team isn't. And now it's starting to boil over, mm-hmm. as you said, and cause problems within the workspace. And, and it's not her fault and, or is it her fault or, and, and some of it may have to do, (laughs) some of it may have to do with the notion that they thought it was going to be Supergirl. So the motivations might've changed or, or I should say the motivations have changed since they've dropped Supergirl being the identity, which had to have happened now probably four or five issues ago. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, well, now you got to come up with a new idea. Why is she masked? What is she waiting for? What is she doing? We're not going to get that answer for a number of issues. But it it kind of puts the mystery around her and it kind of makes it uh, a little more like I like I'm a little bit on her side in this issue. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Yeah. The <laughs> My opening note on this on, on this uh, issue, Peter, was. Well, one, I think we're way past the suspicion stage. Uh, <laughs> of, By the of, way, we should probably have had a drinking game because not only is it called suspicion, <laughs> but they use the word suspicion. And then we're probably going to say it a lot. Yeah, too. that's true. be drunk by the end of the episode. <laughs> what, what, what makes you think I'm not already? <laughs> so we're way past the, uh, the suspicion stage. But the, some of the team members, are they're just being asses. You know, and which which is not out of uh, uh, out of what am I trying to say here? Out of bounds for the Legion because we've we've talked <laughs> we've talked about you know those early Legion stories where they're just jerks to each other, and while they're not, I wouldn't well maybe Timberwolf a little bit, but <laughs> they're not you know being overtly 
jerky, but uh, it it it's certainly calling back to their their roots <laughs> of being, you know, just dumb teenagers. And and that's something that I've seen throughout this run too, like Ultra Boy straight up looking at her mask. Oh yeah, come on. Yeah, many other well, I shouldn't say many. Some of these Legionnaires come across as just well uh, let me express it this way um i don't like them anymore for (laughs) for what they did you know at least at least this issue you know uh timberwolf well that that really has more to do with the the backup story but but he's been you know like i said he he opens the issue with him talking to block and he's still talking about how uh because he did this before in a previous issue how, how he doesn't believe one person could really do all those stunts that that sensor girl does, you know. So he, he keeps hammering that point, and then Shrinking Violet, you know, chimes in because she's nearby. She, she's a menace. How, how? What? What have we? What have? What has Sensor Girl done that that would cause Shrinking Violet to make that accusation? Other than the fact that they don't know her. So therefore, she must not be good. She there, she must be a threat in some way, and then and then it, that spills over into the conversation between uh, Brainiac Five, Chameleon Boy, and Element Lad later. So I do like the way that Levitz and company are constructing this con this uh, overall conversation between the Legionnaires. But but um, for, as a fan of the characters, I'm I'm looking at this going, you guys are just <laughs> you're you're talking behind her back you're making accusation uh, what seem like unfounded accusations and I, I just they just do not come across well in this story which is really interesting hmm. i do i do love how sense uh shrinking violet later she's like i have no reason to suspect sense girl but who knows that's my point and you're like oh well okay <laughs> then i mean it's shrinking violet you know yeah, she's yeah. going through a lot anyway but <laughs> But they all, you know, Brainiac 5 went into her room in whatever issue that was, you know. Yeah, that like violation, in, yes. Yeah, and and they're all kind of, <laughs> you know, Elem, uh, Ultra Boy, all this gossip's getting me interested and hungry, too. And, oh, jeez. And Sun Boy's like, you're one of a kind, Ultra Boy. Like, they're just talking about the serious thing, but then they're all like, it's like a bunch of Kardashians gossiping, <laughs> you know, like they're almost at the point oh God. of, of saying something interesting or, or you're like, you think they're going to hit on the point or they're going to hit mm-hmm. on something. Like maybe they're going to all go into element lad and say, but then they're all like, Oh, by the way, I'm hungry. And then they're like, let's play chess. And Sunboy's boys like, Oh, ultra boy, you're a cad, you know, like, <laughs> That legion elitism is yes. on display in those first two oh, yeah, pages, that's, that's which true. I love. Yeah, you know, you, like you say, you sort of don't like them for it, but then you realize that's the point that there is this sort of elitism, and that's the whole reason why they're trying to inspect her in the first place. That's where the suspicion lies. It's like, mm. how dare someone be on our team and we don't know who she is? Oh yes, yeah, perfect. Yeah, that elitism—that's the perfect word in this situation. And maybe I'm being hard on him, but <laughs> I think they deserve it, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, like 14, 15 year old me w- would probably b- right in line with them. But that's the point. I'm not I'm not their age. And and like if we jump to the 
I, I really liked the scene with Telus, Polar Boy, and Magnetic Kid about this mm-hmm. because they even echo some of that where they're like where Magnetic Kid uh, says, you know, well, the older I, I overheard the older legionnaires, right? Like he specifically says older legionnaires. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not just about experience. It's also about there is a definite age gap. Half of the older legionnaires were trying to figure out over lunch. Nobody has any new ideas, at least not that they said out loud. Yeah. Part of me feels like that's Levitt saying, okay, readers, you know, you're you're coming up with some wild guesses, but everybody is just guessing what everybody else is guessing, saying it's Saturn girl, saying it's Saturn queen. Nobody's, or, or maybe people are still saying it's Supergirl, you know. But I like the little bit of divide, the generational divide that that aspect provided. As I said earlier, you know, the mystery is helping us to kind of get into the Legion dynamics. Well, and uh, you brought up that scene between those three characters. Uh, I just noticed here, you know, uh, Telus makes a comment. Magnetic Kids uh, responds kind of mm, maybe angrily because it's it's. Uh, I, I think tell, what Telus is getting at is not how Magnetic Kid takes it, but he but he takes it as kind of a personal affront. That's because Magnetic Kid's a nerd. Yeah, well, and you know he's <laughs> he's the new kid, and he's the he's the he's the legacy, you know, kind of thing. Right. But Polar Boy's like, let's not get. Uh, let's not let this get too personal, okay? And I'm like, why didn't you say that before <laughs> uh, in the lunchroom? The other thing I like about the that sequence with with Magnetic Kid and and Polar Boy, I think I think tell like I think this is where you're like tell us is right to bring up Cosmic Boy after the way Magnetic Kid talked about Saturn Girl. Like I think, like you said. It, He's not bringing it up in the way that Magnetic Kid takes it. Because Telus is like Block, right? Like, they just say things. Mm-hmm. They're like they're, they're very good at just sort of saying matter-of-fact things. Because in, a, in, 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 in a, coming from a, uh, either ignorance or innocence. Yeah, because they don't, they don't have any ulterior motive. They're just taking the comments as, as they go, you know? And Magnetic Kid's response, he's like, well, Cosmic Boy knows that I'm here. And you and I almost felt like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Is that because you've outed? We know who you are. We don't know who. Like that. There again is sort of like some. It's like almost like discrimination or something like that. Like, well, I have no secrets to hide. And I was like, yeah, well, that's because you're vanilla milk toast. You know, <laughs> like, there's nothing interesting about you right now. Yeah. And and are you just? Are you annoyed that people are just, they don't even pay attention to you because you're just Cosmic Boy light? Mm-hmm. I'm totally mm-hmm. reading into, the, oh, into when, it. But. but that's how I read it too. It's, yeah, he's, like I said, he's, he's kind of the, 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 the legacy character and he has things to prove and he with against such a, a legendary member of the Legion. So yeah, I, I that's totally how I, I read into what uh, his reaction was or why he was reacting that way. Oh, yeah. And then he, he says, OK, he knows that I'm here. Think Saturn Girl could have that much faith in a stranger? He almost hits it. He mm. almost hits the reveal <laughs> in a weird way. But but then it does call into question what he's saying about Saturn Girl, which he's totally just being reactionary as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So, 
Well, and, and, and the way that he introduced the idea just a few panels before, I think she's really sounding girl sneaking back in. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, <laughs> you know, is, is, I don't know. It, it, to me, it kind of comes across as, well, he's the kid brother of the Legion founder. And so somehow his guess has some sort of import or I don't, it, it's just, it, it's like he's trying to be more or show more of what he is or can do than actually is he's capable of. Yeah. I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. See, see this whole issue. <laughs> don't it's like, him. don't like her. <laughs> all sense girl's fault. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, now you, uh, Peter, you, you touched on, uh, element lad a little bit, uh, before and how he's, how he's dealing with this. And that's one of the things I really liked about this issue, certainly, uh, was, and, and, you know, coming from, a uh, my accusation of the issue where, where the legionnaires are being jerks, he is, you know, sh- showing to be level-headed. He's thinking as a manager would, trying to deal with, with all these disparate personalities and realizing, oh, this is an issue with too many people now. I have to deal with it. And he, he, he does the uncomfortable thing. He goes and talks to the person that everyone's talking about and saying, what can you, what can, what assurances can you give me? Can you, you know, give me something, let me help you so that he can smooth this over and, and not have this, this issue, uh, festering under the surface for his teammates. I just thought that was a really cool thing that they showed about element lad especially especially considering that in previous issues so far he has expressed his own self-doubts and uh, questioning his own abilities to be an effective team leader so at least in at least with uh, interpersonal issues uh, he seems to be doing a good job even if he's not successful in the way that he wanted to be (laughs) Let's go back to the Brainiac chameleon boy scene because I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, that first time we sort of, it, it sort of hits Element Lad. And uh, and then we'll jump back to that scene that you're talking about because, you know, the larger notion of Element Lad leadership is really on display in this volume of, of Legion stories. Unfairly so, I think, because uh, as I think I mentioned one time before, these books are created at a time where Levitz is paying attention to that kind of thing, right? The leadership of Element Lad. If this was 10, 15 years ago, you wouldn't care. It's no. it's just Wildfire being leader and he's yelling at everybody, right? Like that's about as far depth <laughs> as it goes. Yeah. But in this one, it has been a, a recurring thing, whether it's because of Element Lad's relationship with Schmo and Aaron developing because of their close relation, working relationship several instances where like dream girl has said some things and, and like you said in that later scene where he's doubting himself and like this, (laughs) this is the, the story that kind of puts a nail in, in element lads leadership coffin. Like this is it. This is like the, the thing I think that kind of gives him the boot later on. But when we get that scene between, Brainiac 5 and Chameleon Boy, uh, that's where I wrote in my notes, see, this is exactly what's going on. She's affecting the team. Her very 
presence is affecting the team, not on missions, but just in their sort of personalities. Mm -hmm. You sort of expect it with Brainiac 5, as these characters already say. We've already seen it, right? We've already seen Brainiac 5 go through a spiral in past issues. So that's not a, that's a no-brainer. But as Element Lad says, to get Chameleon Boy to be that confrontational is a little out of character, but it, it just goes to show the severity of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And... I would I would absolutely be really disappointed if like if some of the aftermath is like, oh, the whole reason everybody's on edge is because sensor girls powers were leaking to everybody like that would kind of like, oh, no, that's not fun. Like, I want this to really be their decisions. Yeah. And the way he handles it, Element Lad, you know, because I think, again, he's right. He's he's right that they should all respect her privacy. He's also right when he says this isn't fair. <laughs> Whereas like, does he say it about himself? Let me, let me see where he's, uh, let's say, I don't care who she is. I'm sure Saturn girl made a good choice, but the suspicions, uh, are driving the entire Legion mad. It's not a matter of privacy anymore. No choice. It's not fair. And, and like, what does he mean? It's not fair. It's not fair that he has to invade her privacy. It's not fair that he has to take charge. Is he saying it's not fair that he has to handle it, that it happens under his leadership? I don't know. I don't know. It probably means all those things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I, uh, I feel bad for the dude, but this is why you're a leader. You either handle it or you don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have a lot of sympathy for him in this situation because I, I, I've had... While I've not had to uh, deal with a masked member of my team at work, uh, I've had I've ha I have had to deal with some uh, individuals that were causing issues among the lar the larger group, and um, yeah, it's uh, it is it's uh, it is uncomfortable and and uh, you know I, I will admit you know I, I felt like I kind of felt like Element, Element Lad is expressing himself here. You know, it's like why do I have to deal with this crap? <laughs> And the way he handles it when he does finally talk to her is, is like, I think is right, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, but I also think her reaction is right too. Like, I don't fault her for her reaction of going, all right, fine. You know what? I'm just, okay. I think it's best if I left because she's dealing with stuff that we don't know. Right. And it's a, it's, it's a little, you, you do want to sort of shake her and go, okay, you, you got to own up to some of this, right? But she's not ready for that yet for whatever reason. And maybe that's part of the story that will play out in the next couple issues. But um, I also really like some of the artwork on those pages, like the the five panels of Element Lad talking mm -hmm. and all the different looks on his face. It's almost very Kevin Maguire-ish, you know, like mm, later yeah. issues of Kevin Maguire. Yeah, it's very expressive. Yeah, yeah. But also the way like she's sitting, like she's sitting way upright. She's not leaning back. When she walks away, the cape doesn't have doesn't have like it doesn't delineate where the folds are in her cape. It's sort of like a solid color. Mm. The panel where she says, I thank you for your honesty and your support. I've come to a new respect for you. And she's sort of just like half looking as she's turned away. Like it's good. It's, it's I, I applaud LaRocque and company for the emotional weight that is showing up in the pages here. And, and I like the notion of what her, what she says, like I've come to a new respect. 
it almost feels like, oh, does she know Element Lad? Is she just saying that? Like, oh, that's interesting. Is that a clue? So, and then Element Element Lad saying, I may have set a new record for stupidity for a Legion leader. <laughs> well, yeah, his his comment about things not being fair, I think, uh, you know, given how the, some Legionnaires may look on this situation for the uh, uh, during the next Legion election. Yeah, I th- I think maybe he would be unfairly judged for the situation and and the legionnaires not knowing how he's been dealing with it with the particular individuals. So yeah, it would be interesting to see cuz I, I have no idea who I have no idea who follows uh Element Lad as leader or or even when this occurs. So Oh good. Well, I hope I hope you don't accidentally find out because it'll be fun to to see. Mm-hmm. So I think I might have to put a pin in this one note where, where I, I kind of said this already. What is making Sensor Girl keep her identity a secret? What's going on with her? You know, I, and and outside of what we already know, is there? I, I'm forgetting if there's what else there is to it, and uh, so I'm going to put a pin in that and maybe come back to it in the next couple issues to see if she does give a little bit more of a reason mm-hmm. behind all of this, which I have to imagine she does. Well, I, I certainly hope the payoff is good enough <laughs> for for us readers. It's brilliant. <laughs> no, let me, I better not hype it up that much just in case. What else do you have about the censor girl part of this issue? I, th- I think maybe that's about it. Yeah, I, the rest of my, rest of my notes are about the other things in the issue. Let me look through here. I have a couple of things. So you mentioned Timberwolf saying, I don't believe one person can really do all those stunts. And yet we have characters who have, I mean, Superboy could, Starboy at one point could do a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Wildfire could do a whole bunch of stuff. Now they all lost those abilities except for Superboy, Monel, Ultra. I mean, they all, you know, Superboy and Monel can do a whole bunch of stuff. So why can't Sensible? Yeah, yeah, exactly. His logic is not sound. I mean, it's Timberwolf. <laughs> I didn't come across with, I didn't think Timberwolf was being as nerdy about it as some of the other characters mm, were. Mm-hmm. Like he, even though it does open with him, I, I think he would be one that would like make those claims, but would never confront her. Oh yeah. Whereas like someone like Wildfire might do that or Shrinking Violet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he he's like the guy who has this one bug up his butt about something and is constantly talking about it, but then never does anything about it. <laughs> well, par for the course, right? As we'll, <laughs> that's, that's as we'll get true. to later. <laughs> and then Shrinking Violet bringing up Saturn girl, Saturn Queen, like you said. And, and I think at this point, she was in the first five issues, right? Saturn, Saturn Queen? Yeah. With the Legion of Supervillains? I think she was, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. I don't <laughs> remember. <been> so <laughs> I know. Because I thought I read somewhere that she had never really gone up against the Legion. and But regardless, them bringing up this notion again, it's now the third time that they've brought up this idea of second or third time. Those three characters, Lightning Lord, Cosmic King, and Saturn Queen, are supposed to be from the Legion's future. Right, yeah. Yeah, Timberwolf says that specifically. So I thought that was a nice little thing, especially since you 
uh, you you talked uh, a bit about that. I don't remember what what episode that was now, but or what issue uh, the, where you brought that up. But yeah, it's like number four or something. Yeah, like four or five. Yeah. yeah, it's like Levitt's debunking that whole notion, mm-hmm. and maybe she is from the future, but maybe she isn't. Like he's he's trying to go. Okay, those were those were part of the adult Legion stories. I got to get him into the present Legion stories. So I don't know if it means anything, but I took notion of that. Just trying to see if there's anything else Sensor Girl related. And then the only other thing I really have is about Joe looking into her mask and saying there's nothing there. And what does that imply? Short of giving a theory which might spoil the next issue. So Well, and it and it's interesting. That he says specifically, Sensor Girl's costume was empty, which implies that the costume is th- there is a costume, and it's but it's not filled with something, right? Which that that sounds oh, like a, right. that's sure. a very yeah. interesting distinction. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really curious now what you know what what comes ne- next in terms of the, of how that how this fits into that uh, because. The obvious reason for that would not make sense. His comment would not make sense, uh, and I'm, I know I'm, I'm talking around the thing, but I don't want to. You know, we don't want to. We, we don't want to uh, spoil it or jump ahead. So I know we we've gone this far without <laughs> saying it. <laughs> so yeah, well, I like you. I the, I think this is a this is a pin to come back to, but I I kind of suspect that this will be um, uh, something that is just kind of lost in the details. That's interesting, though. I never thought of it that way. It's almost like it's Doctor Strange's cape from yeah. the MCU universe. Yeah, where, that's a good. That's a good analogy. Yeah, it's like a living entity. So, okay, yeah, that's uh, that's the Sensor Girl part of the story, which is obviously a major point part to it, and will play out, as I said, in the next two three issues. The reveal will happen next issue. Did you know that? Did you know the reveal is next issue? Did I spoil that for you? Well, I, the way you were talking, I thought it was maybe in the next couple issues. <laughs> I'm sorry. My bad. Well, that's great, though. I think the cover, next issue's cover, will give it away, too. Mm, so. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Not the identity, but that, you know. Well, considering, though, that they they claim that they were, or implied heavily they were going to reveal who she was in this issue, you know, you can't trust those covers. <laughs> All right. So, what else about this issue? Where do you, what do you want to talk? We have several subplots and and small little vignettes here and there. Um, what do you want to hit on next? Should we talk about the, the Emerald Empress and Fatal Five stuff? Because a lot of the vignettes really revolve around that. Right. It's kind of like the second. It's like a yeah. plot A point two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So is there? So uh, I guess the first thing about that is is the missing Legion Academy member, which I don't. There there is a potential error in here. Oh, so absolutely. Oh, okay. Area. Okay. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't, are you Peter? Are you reading the actual issues? Are you reading them digitally or from a from some sort of collection or anything? No, I, I have the the issues. Okay, so I just I wondered if maybe they corrected that in some later version of this, but because you know, Wildfire, Colossal Boy, and Polar Boy are heading to the Legion Academy because someone's missing, 
it it turns out to be Mentella, but there's there's a Polar Boy makes the comment about we only know Sensor Girl's missing. But that's clearly not the case because uh, we just saw her sitting presumably nearby the where the the legionnaires were talking about them and then and then there's a later scene here where uh element lad calls her to to talk to her and then we see her with him so that that totally the, the, just a continuity error i guess well it's, and it's bad because they just had this conversation about sensor girl who is she blah 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 and then you read the dialogue and it could have been that mm-hmm. it could have been that oh my god she went missing yeah because exactly. she heard them so it's such a it's a boner of an error because it's like, no, they're trying to set up Mentala leaving the academy on against the backdrop of the recruitment drive of the Fatal Five. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's big news. Mm-hmm. You know, she the Empress already tried to recruit Sensor Girl, and now we have Mentala going away, and and you know, we only met her that one time during issue 14. So for them to for that to be such an error, it almost as I read it this time, I was like, wait, what? Like, because that could have happened. But that's not what happened. It's yeah, it's a it's mistake. And it's it's an, it's an unfortunate mistake because it could have been real. Well, and maybe that's you know, maybe that's what it is, is that that's exactly what what Levitz was going to do in some early draft of this. And somehow that made it into the lettering of the issue. I don't know. Uh-huh. Who knows? But uh, I, uh, you know, there really, I mean, the the thrust of that of this what two th- or three page scene is basically getting to know that Mentella left, and Wildfire suspects that has something to do with with uh, the new Fatal Five that Empress the Emerald Empress is putting together. But really, what we get here is uh, we see. The new Karate Kid, after, what, 10 issues we saw him last? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, and so he's he's uh, he's training. And then we get we see a bunch of other Legion Academy members, which I thought was interesting. Because Legion Academy, before now, generally speaking, it's always been composed of the same, what, four, five, six members that we always see. Lamprey, Power Boy, who else? Uh... Comic Queen, Night, yeah. Night Wind, Night, Crystal yeah, Kid, exactly, exactly. But we don't see them. We, you know, these are these are new folks, uh, which is interesting. So I, I, that, that's cool that they, you know, just it's just a little detail. Uh, we see a bunch of uh, potential new Legionnaire members, and um, it just it just for me it really makes the Legion world a little more rich because. Why would they only have the same five or six <laughs> people in the academy that we've seen year after year after year? This makes a lot more sense to me that that certain members, uh, certain potential candidates would come into the academy and they'd wash out and they just they they you know they they would just disappear and others would keep keep at it like Pol- uh, uh, Power Boy because he made some comment about in the past you know he or someone made a comment about him I can't rem- remember now. But, uh, you know, being tenacious about trying to join the Legion. So I, anyway, I, I, I just I, I really like that that scene for that. Uh, it, I'm less concerned about the fact that Mentala is is gone. It's just, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, she's gone and maybe she's part of the Fatal Five. Maybe she's maybe she's not. We don't know. But but this is this scene to me is really just more about, hey, Karate Kid's still here. Remember him? 
and uh and and like i said the building up that world yeah and i and i love the academy so i love that they go back yeah and, uh i love that polar boy sort of takes notice of it and he mentions it in the later scene too where he's like you know if the academy had the academy been around when the substitute heroes was around maybe i could have done all this differently and i think a reader pointed out that the academy had been around to some degree at mm-hmm. that point but i actually when when he's talking to mig and he says a word of advice youngster if you want to join the legion do it their way period but that's not how polar boy got into the legion <laughs> Like we pointed it out that he blustered her, his way in. Yeah. Where he's Demanded. like, yeah, he's like, I don't care how old I am. I don't care what your rules are. Here I am. New costume, new sass. Put me on the team. <laughs> That's, that was pretty much it. Right. I mean, they, they did. They changed the constitution for him. <laughs> so it's, it, I thought that was a little strange that he said that because that's, again, that's not the way. That's not the way he did it, yeah. but yeah, you're right. Like these are the, I think the notion of why these characters are different too, is because like the, these new Academy members are the ones done by, I assume the Roke, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of the background stuff in some of the other scenes too, sometimes his background characters are really great. They feel like they're right into the future. Their, their costuming, whatever, all of it just feels good. Other times it's like, woo, that's super generic. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, we gave cre- we gave props to Lytle because he was such a master of the background stuff. And I think LaRocque is doing it. I think he's getting there. There's actually a point that I want to make in the one bar scene um, mm-hmm. about it, but the I do I there's a couple there there are some things I like about it too art wise like I like the first panel of wildfire flying towards oh, yeah. us yep and then down below polar boy like the side of him like those that's good artwork like that's you know I think that's good Laroque artwork the, the the figures are are going out of the panel a little bit it even makes sense that they would be flying from their headquarters to Montauk Point like it shouldn't be that long of a trip mm-hmm. it's just going from what I assume is like Manhattan to Long Island, right? Like just, you know, but by way of flight ring. <laughs> so you just zoop, zoom right over. I, I really dug that. I wrote down, can we just talk about a little bit the, the, the ridiculousness of bouncing boy being the lead, the trainer of the Academy. I mean, I know we've seen him <laughs> a bunch of times. It just, it's wonderful. That's just so bizarre. And just so like of all the people, I guess it makes sense with his personality because he's kind of level-headed. Yeah, he. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we yeah we don't have any details about this, it's, and I I don't even remember when he became the Legion Academy uh, leader. I guess administrator. I'm not quite sure what he does there, but he he seems to be the Ursat's leader of 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 the academy, the headmaster, if you will. But yeah, it, yeah, he you're right. He's he he's level-headed and he has the experience. And I guess if if you extrapolate this out, one of the most ridiculous legion members was on the team. I mean, he he, he made he made the big leagues and now he's helping the the minors to try and get to the big leagues. I I you know that that has a nice 
sense of poetry to me that I, that I, uh, that I really like. Yeah. I mean, he was the, he was there the very first Legion book I ever read issue three or four, him and duo damsel teaching the recruits, mm-hmm. teaching the Academy. Uh, so I guess that's why it always sticks out to me. It, it makes you, it makes you wonder if, uh, you know, after they were booted from the Legion because they got married, but they want you know, keep the characters around some way. Well, you know, I could just, I could just see them going, well, you know, even though we can't be direct members of, of the team, is there something that we could do? And so I just, I have this, this vision of them talking to, uh, the, the Legion or the Legion leadership and, and going, Hey, what, 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 can we do this? Can we do that? Hey, would you guys like to run the Legion Academy? Oh, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> And then before we get to like Emerald Empress, um, just to follow up on Polar Boy a little bit, when he's talking to Magnetic Kid and Tellus, he says, I just wondered what you thought of this dialogue, if it stuck out to you. Again, he's talking about the Academy. I would have made it into the real Legion a lot faster. I thought, what? Yeah. What does that say about the subs? I mean, the emphasis is mine, but still real Legion. He's still got a kind of like a little bit of thing about that. Oh, yeah. And and given the expression on his face, I'm not quite sure how to read that. It's, I don't, I'm not, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a very weird juxtaposition between the words and the picture here and trying to discern what, 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 what's going on in his head. Huh. And poor, poor fans of the subs yeah. still getting beat over the head. <laughs> That's right. From, from the, the former, former leader of the team, too. It's like, right. oh, boy, you really didn't think much of your teammates, did you? Well, then we get those couple pages with the Emerald Empress. Again, beautiful artwork. I love the way she's just sitting there with that crystal. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Just really great. And even Persuader sort of leaning up against the wall and just some nice, comfortable panels here but uh uh, i think the largest takeaway of this recruitment drive or at least from these two pages a a very simple motivation where she just says i must have slaves to worship me to do my will we shall have a new fatal five to satisfy my desires it's not a, a grand motivation like stealing a planet and going into another universe like the first five issues of the series but okay does that feel right? Does that feel like an, the what Emerald Empress would use the Fatal Five for? Uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just seems like there's there's much better ways to get what she wants without doing doing what she's doing or doing it in the way that she's doing it. I yeah, it it just it seems like a just an excuse to get a new Fatal Five into the book, as opposed to. Mm, true character motivations but yeah it, I mean, it, it really depends on how this plays out it's just i have a hard time understanding why she's doing this or why she's doing it in the way that she's doing it and does it have any counterpart or counterpoint to the way sensor girl is acting mm-hmm. as we sort of brought up their duality in an earlier issue because one is an empress and the other one is, you know, sensor girl. <laughs> Just to be coy about it. Yeah, that. I was going to say, are you trying to make some sort of co- uh, connection between the two characters that that uh, we'll 
that's beyond um, what we've already seen, I guess. I think I'm trying to make the connection now, reading it as, as you know, the age I am now, as opposed to when I was mm-hmm. a kid, because of that scene a couple issues ago, where where Empress is like, "Look, you should join me," you know, almost to the point where she's like, "We share something," you know, like the way she talked to her and the way she confronted her, and. I don't know if this is what Levitz is doing and, and I'm just going to wait to write it out for the next couple issues. But there, I, I think there's something interesting between the two characters. One is in complete secrecy and we don't have any motivation to her. And the other one is, is very openly trying to form a team because she just wants what she wants. And I'm putting some stuff in hindsight onto this, I guess, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I'm just sort of toying with this notion of the two of them being who they are, what they are, what they represent. Well, and well, okay. Speaking of that, uh, now that you got me thinking about it, uh, it's very interesting given that previous, uh, issue scene that you referenced and this scene with persuader and her, expressing her motivations for reforming the team you know the i have to i have to have people uh worshiping me to do my will right but yet the interaction between emerald empress and sensor girl in that previous issue was almost a peer-to-peer relationship like like empress and we already talked about this a little bit, like Empress sensed something in Sensor Girl mm-hmm. that had her on a very similar standpoint mm-hmm. as as Empress herself. And yet what she wants are lackeys, people to do her bidding. Persuader is very, uh, assumably, uh, okay in, in, in doing that. So yeah, that... If if what she wants are a bunch of lackeys to do her her bidding, why is she toying with Sensor Girl? Why is she con- want, trying to convince her to you know before convince her to come come onto the team? That boy, if now I really want that to play out. So if I don't get that, Peter, I'm gonna be really ticked. <laughs> well, I think it's some of it too had to just do with the fact that she was recruiting, right? And she just sort of sensed Sensor Girl and was like. Ooh, not only could I recruit, but I could recruit somebody from the Legion, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure she knows that if she tries to do anything, the Legion is going to be there. So it always goes back to the Legion one way or the other. Oh, OK. So uh, do you think then it's it's really just a matter of this is an opportunity rather than some sort of personality similarity? Oh, no, I th- no, I think that's there, too. Okay. I, I do. I think she does sense something or maybe she knows something. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I forget. I forget how this story plays out. It just was just <laughs> just me sort of riffing, riffing the idea yeah. of, of these two characters. Yeah. Well, it's, knowing a, what I it's certainly uh, an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I'd love to see how this plays out. And I also, I also feel like she's very consciously, or it's Paul Levitt's, uh, recruiting female characters. Oh yes, because right, because she's 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 writing off everybody. She's like, all right, we couldn't find Validus. 
And not only is Validus mentioned in this scene, but it's actually in the scene with Element Lad and Brainiac 5 and Chameleon Boy. It's like on the Interlac uh, screen, something about Validus is still missing. And she rags on her other members where she's like, you know, Tharok is missing, Mano, bleh, you know, and <laughs> and we get the scene where she uh, recruits Flair, a new character, Flair, a new criminal, right? Like, a, a, I assume a Greg LaRocque des- designed female villain first of all black female Mm -hmm. villain right like hello thank you yeah um it's been a while since we've seen (laughs) we haven't seen invisible kid in a long time you know so she's consciously recruiting at least what we see here female characters and then there's the threat of mentala you know where did she go so i don't know i I just thought maybe it spoke to emerald empress a little bit Mm mm-hmm well, and 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 if if you extrapolate what is is implied in this issue regarding the Fatal Five, where you obviously have Empress, she recruits Flair, it's uh, maybe Mentella, maybe also Sensor Girl. You've got so that's one, two, three, four. Who am I missing here? Uh, anyway, you have a you have a um, you have a, a very woman-centric fatal five in in that case so that 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 would that would that would have been interesting (laughs) instead of instead of her empress being the only female on the fatal five as she has been uh all these years so and you know with with that gender reversal in the team makeup i thought that would have been interesting yeah and when flair was stealing the ship i mean it was it was sort of kind of like Emerald Empress is going to recruit this character just because she stole a ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I guess that's Paul Levitt. He just needs to introduce her. And, yeah, a new character. You know, whatever. Um, but we get Gigi, which is fun for a little bit for me. <laughs> and then we also get the Null Port. We get the the shipbuilding place with with the the Centaur character, which yeah. I love. Uh huh. I love that his name sounds like a horse sound. Her 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 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh my god, I love that you did that. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool. It's just it, like that was one of the lighter vignettes. Mm-hmm. Like it really doesn't mean much other than okay, I got to get this character over to the Fatal 5. Mm-hmm. But but I like I like the design of Flair, so I look forward to seeing more of her. Well, yeah, I you know, the uh, she's introduced and she's this uh, what looks like a red-skinned character with this yellow suit, right? And then uh, just, uh, what, a page later, we actually see, like you said, she she's black. And so I, I love that they're they're playing around with with how the powers manifest with, with her character. So that, that's really neat. I want to jump back to something that you, you mentioned uh, since we're talking about the Fatal Five. I, I find this interesting, you know... Um, uh, Empress says, uh, like like you said, she's talking about her her former teammates who are missing or gone, whatever. And she says, and Mano, ugh. And so I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on there? And so I actually went back to the first appearance of the Fatal Five to see if there's anything to her reacting to Mano that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, there actually was a scene in that uh hold on let me let me look at my notes make sure i'm talking about the right issue here yeah okay yeah so uh in adventure comics 353 there's a scene where mano 
goes to her independent of everybody else and tries to convince her to join him and the two of them would go off and take over the universe. I think they I think he actually said that specifically. And she refuses because you know, I I think she sees him as beneath her. And he basically it's, you know, the way that it's portrayed in that Silver Age issue and the way that I read it now, wow. Because uh, she, he, basically he just says, well, I'm just going to have to convince you. And he's taking off his glove to, I'm not sure to do what, but, you know, because his hand is is the thing that can dis- uh, disintegrate things. That, hmm, uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure how to express it. Uh, there, things could have been portrayed very differently and very wrong, given a, a modern sensibility, or I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just I'm just really reaching for this, but I did not like the way that 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 particular scene was was um, was presented through these modern eyes. So He's a creep. Yeah, well, definitely a creep. But man. So anyway, I can I can totally understand. I mean, his name is Mono, right? Well, yeah. Like, his whole notion is about hand. My hand is going to touch you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I so I see you know I can see why she would have that reaction to the. I mean, you know, plus he comes from a planet that's perpetual darkness. I think I think that darkness was was in part because of the pollution on the planet, and that's why he wears. The helmet, I, I don't remember the, de- the details now. But that's also what, you know, and then, and then I thought, but because uh, we talked about this in one of the, the Tales episodes about the Justice League versus the Fatal Five movie, where those two are actually lovers. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a complete reversal of, of how the, the characters are or at least how she feels about him in 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 the in the book here. So I thought that was interesting. Plus she also says you know uh, to persuade her, you know, uh, we shall have a new fatal five to satisfy my desires and you know they are insatiable and I thought are we is she, what what is what is Levitt's trying to intimate here <laughs> between those two? Again, maybe the, my mind just went way too much into the gutter on this issue. <laughs> well, she's sensual. She's very sensual. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. You, I mean, you mentioned that that uh, beautiful panel there with her, uh, with that uh, warming crystal or whatever it is. You know, that's that's done very well, and you, you get that you get that sense from her. You know, it's at the moment this is what she wants, and and she's enjoying it. She's luxuriating in it, and and then when she's interrupted by the cun, she's she doesn't take it well. <laughs> I mean, there's there's other other reasons there too, but. Well, if we go back to the bar scene, which is kind of like a follow-up from last issue where Ayla and Vi are trying to go on a, you know, a fact-finding mission about the Fatal Five. So mm-hmm. we wind up back into the bar where they were. It's kind of a throwaway that, you know, we, we just see the, the person that they lo- were looking for is dead in an alleyway behind there. And um, uh, the bartender had called some science police to like, hey, you need to get rid of this body. So, OK, it, it's not like a, a huge issue. It's not a huge point. There's mm-hmm. not much to it. I yeah. Think. But for me, that robot go-go stripper uh-huh. dancer thing, 
I wrote in my notes, is that the first time in this series that we've just been hit with such a blatant, <laughs> overtly sexual image like that? Uh-huh. I because, had similar notes. <laughs> yeah, because I remember you reading way back about uh, in some of our earliest episodes about like this volume and the paper stock and just being sold to direct market was a way for them to, quote unquote, tell a, a little bit more of an adult story here and there with this concept and you know what did that what does that mean adult story does it just mean more violence does it mean death does it mean you get to see people in bed together whatever but i thought this is the first time because clearly you know the 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 robot has nipples yeah. you know like it's not like it's offensive it's not offensive to me but i just when i turned the page and hadn't remembered it i went oh look well look at that <laughs> this i think this is the first time in this volume that it has gone to this level mhm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, exact. I had the same exact note. It's like, wow, that's very blatant. Which is kind of surprising. Yeah. I'll be curious to see if they do anything more like that. Again, like people always say the five years later Legion is too dark, too adult, too whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> um, this is 1986 and there's nipples. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and and that that I guess the the idea of sensuality also uh, we have a, a later scene that I wanted to talk about too, uh, that kind of goes along with that I guess um, very di- oh yeah, dis- yeah displayed very differently. But um, before before we leave this page though, did you did you see who what else um, we were surprised with? <laughs> the Batman frequent strip clubs, <laughs> a future Batman. Uh, so yeah, I mean we uh, I, I've been. We've been talking about these little Easter eggs in these these group scenes, and there's actually there's another group scene where we see some other people that I want to point out too. And uh, I know I can't remember who it was. I think we talked about it last episode, uh, where we got some feedback about those those little appearances. So they're definitely on my mind I, as I as I as I read these issues now, and I'm uh, looking at the group scenes. I'm like, ooh, who are we gonna see now? <laughs> Well, let's let's go to that other scene, and and I do want to make make a point too that it's not that I'm again, it's not that I'm against this, and and we've had a character like Laurel Kent who's been walking around in barely a bikini. Like I get it, like the the it's the future. They should be open about all that kind of stuff. I just was very surprised because it it hadn't been a factor until now. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the star. Uh, uh, what's her name? Dream Girl scene. Mm-hmm. Again, a small little vignette um, doesn't mean anything in the larger run, but it might later. So, what would you think of that? Oh, well, you know, the, the thrust of this of the scene is just that Dream Girl is not with Starboy, and so what does you know what does that mean about their relationship, and what's what 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 impact will that have? Right? I I don't know that there's much else to that at this point, and that she got caught by. Or, or I should say, she feels like she got caught by Quizlet. Yeah, who is just you know like a he's he just wants that fun and he gets into this club and again there's that Legion elitism mm-hmm. uh, where he's like I'm of course I can get into this club but I also think that's Quizlet's nature too. Yeah, it's just you know <laughs> he's just like that. But right that you know she's dancing very closely to another man with the awful mustache and and hairy chest but and and, uh, and the necklace you know and the ne- <laughs> <laughs> uh, ay, ay, ay. and she has to explain it away i mean the look on her face is that she got caught you yeah. know again it's the future it probably 
in a different, if in a more modern writing sense, it wouldn't mean anything. But at mm. the time, it, it obviously is to play up the soap op- soap opera dramatics of it. Oh, of course. Yeah, and I do think we get a story out of this somehow. Maybe not quite this angle, but there is something coming down the road. So, mm-hmm. well, I I would hope so. I mean, every time Levitt's, I think. Every time, every time Levitz introduces something new like this, it does play out. It may not play out the way that we are expecting, um, but eventually, we get something to it. So, I, yeah, I, I totally expect this to be, uh, like you said, a, a soap opera uh, subplot that we're we're getting in here. What are the Easter eggs on this uh, page? So there, there's, there's definitely, well, there's, there's a few and then, um, and then there's maybe one or two where it's like, well, it's, they kind of are hinting at somebody, but, but, you know, you see, you see, uh, uh, a sort of Mr. Spock in the background in that first group shot at the top of the page. Mm-hmm. Um, but more interestingly on, in the, the upper right corner is someone that looks very suspiciously like uh, cosmic King. Oh, the costuming. Yeah. Would, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, there's elements Element, of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There's, there's, there's quite a few of those kind of the, you know, the elements there's, there's the lady that's dancing with the star spangled outfit that, you know, it's not evo- evocative of anything in particular, but you know, anytime someone is wearing red, white, and blue with a, with a star on their, on their chest, you know, that, that, that screams Captain America. I, I did want to ask you though, in that that second panel down with the group, um, we got a couple characters. One is a blonde wearing a, a blue outfit with a yellow lightning bolt motif. You know, the, I, I guess evoking uh, Mary Marvel, perhaps. But then the the one the red haired woman next to her looks a bit like a character from the New Teen Titans, and I can't remember her name. She's part of Brother Blood's entourage. Oh yeah! Again, I think it's just sort of the yeah, costume exactly. color. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not explicit for sure, but yeah. you know, it's just it's just interesting the these little things that they're throwing in. Did you see anybody else? Well, this is where Laroque. I wish he was a little bit more specific with some of his background yeah. stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like it's there. I see what he's doing, but it's not like how cool would it be if they walked into this club and they were kind of costuming themselves after the legionnaires like the legionnaires are so popular that even their fashion sense yeah you know like that would be really cool yeah i could totally take that the only other one i thought was the person with spock kind of looks like uh who's the host of twilight zone rod sterling Uh, yes rod serling yes i i thought of that too i I just forgot to mention it that's that's a good point yeah that was the only other one that uh hit me uh the only other part of this first story that I want to talk about obviously is the Monel thing mm-hmm. because I felt like, you know, last issue when we talked about the Monel story and you even said, do they ever do a follow-up to it? And I said, Oh no, I don't, I think this is it. I, I forgot about this mm-hmm. because this is clearly a follow-up and part of me wished it was even in last issue, but yes. I kind of like that it's in this issue too. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it helps, it helps to tie up that loose end. I felt that we got uh, with that, the ending of the last issue, but I feel like this is the better ending to that, right? That particular story, right? Because it's not is you know the end of the the previous issue. He's you know quote unquote cured, and he's he's 
I mean, he did express some, not hesitation. Um, I'm blanking on the word I was wanting to use there, but but you know, uh, he he's he's leery of what the future holds, and this this two page scene just spells it out for us. It's he's you know it, this is a this is so much a Monel scene because you know he's he's so into his own head and you know we've seen that before about him he, he's quiet contemplative and uh, a bit obsessive uh but very very quiet about it he's he's not overt and it's only it's only shadowlass really who knows him to the extent that she does uh, more than anybody else on the team and i love that that uh dynamic with them and uh you know we we've, we've seen shadowlass be supportive uh, with him and worrisome, of course, about his condition. But here it's like, wow, this is, this is, uh, this is not soap opera. This is romance. Uh, and I, and I love that, that the, the, the scene in particular, you know, cause he's, he's still, he's still in his own head and she's trying to just comfort him, uh, which, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, in terms of the story that, that, that's all fine. And then you, that you turn the page and she's like, okay, well, I'm going to take charge of the situation now because you are just too much uh, involved in your, in yourself and how you're feeling. Let me help you. Let me, uh, you know, at, at, at its flimsiest, let me, let me, um, uh, let me think, let you think of other things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's Yeah. Precisely, uh, a diversion. That's that's the word I was looking for. Let me di- let me divert your attention, but but you know, it, and you know, talk about talk about sensual or or sexual. Um, this is very suggestive uh, in the way that this is drawn, and uh, not something that we're used to seeing the how the legionnaires are portrayed. Uh, so I thought that was really you know, from that standpoint, it's really interesting uh, the way that the art, the way that they're showing this with her casting the darkness around the way that she's sitting on that second page uh, suggests that that outfit is, you know, basically about to come off of her. Uh, I mean, that, I mean, not her, it's not outfit. That's actually Monel's coat, uh, if you will, the, his outer garment that he always wears. That's just draped over her. And uh, the, the scene, the close up of her lips talking to, to him, uh, next to next to his ear, you know, and then we get the rest of that. It's like that's pretty adult for for this comic so far. So, I, yeah, I, I I really think that they were they're really starting to play that up. But they did it twice in one issue, and so I'm like, what? Why are we suddenly ramping up that that aspect of it? I don't mind it, of course. Uh, as as an as an adult reader, it it makes a lot of sense that these. Mm, lack of a better word, teenagers. I, because you know we, we play around with the idea of the legionnaires as being teenagers, uh, but really they're they're portrayed more as young adults. Uh, you know, I, I think of them more as 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 in their early twenties, if 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 nothing else. So this makes sense. This this seems true, uh, especially with these these two characters who have been uh, lovers for a long time. So I, I I really like this this two page two page scene that we get and and the way that the art and and the characterization just come together in in a very interesting and different way. 
it's really beautiful. I think some of it speaks to LaRocque's design sense and sensibilities. I don't know if a scene like this would have played the same with Lytle, who his artwork is different, you know, mm-hmm. the use of the blacks, the, oh, the yeah. bringing up dark side, the darkness. And it, and there's, first of all, they're at the edges of space. Monel is a space explorer, a deep space explorer, and he's dating someone who can create total darkness. I mean, he is a therapist's dream, you know, like, <laughs> right. Like I get it. I totally get it. I love it. I love it. And I still want more with Shady. I still want more. I'm tired of her just being his girlfriend. Oh, but, yeah. But I get it. And I also like the fact that it it still plays within the whole suspicion thing because he's, st- he's very suspicious of the cure, you know, and it so mm. thematically it, it really works. Yeah, good point. And, and just the, the follow up to, to the last issue is smart. What she says is we get no guarantees in life and without darkness, there's no light. I mean, just the whole thing of it is, is beautiful. I think you're right. It is the romance element of it. And if there's one thing that Levitt likes to do is make sure that it's not just an action book. It's everything. Just yeah. like with the X-Men at this time. It's not just a an action book. There's so many other places you can go with these characters. I'm a little I'm ready though. I'm ready for Monel to go somewhere else. <laughs> I'm ready for Shady to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And for them as a couple to go somewhere else, too. But a uh, beautiful shot of her. I mean, God, I'm not an original art collector, but I would love to have that shady page where she's casting all of that darkness. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really great. And I think it's one of the better vignettes in the issue. One of the strongest ones because oh, it's quiet. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm all for it. And I think it plays to the strength of the entire book. If we go back to like sort of like a general thought, because even though it is a book about vignettes, almost everybody is in this in this issue. And if they don't get a full scene, they get snippets. You know, there's some characters missing. We don't see White Witch and Invisible Kid and Dawnstar, but like, uh, there's a lot of characters in this book that get some some meat to them. Mm-hmm. And this issue i mean this sequence also gave me a total tangent thought if i can just step away from the issue because i think i'm actually done with all of my notes yeah outside of the second story why wasn't monel the character that bendis used to travel through the millennium from present day to the future Mm. because it's built into his story yeah like if if his origin is still the same where he's the trapped in the phantom zone they could easily have done this thing where they're like all right we're going to put you in the phantom zone superboy's going to find a cure or superman but we have to have you in the phantom zone but we're going to do something where every 100 years we're going to let you come out because we need to try something or whatever you know what i mean like they could have easily made him the the focus point mm-hmm. between past and present. And it would play up the notion that he's trapped in a phantom zone. And it would play up the notion of giving the Legion of superheroes, some kind of like 20th century, um, inspiration that, that was like a true hero of the 20th century. Now, now I know what they did was they, they wanted Rose and Thorne to be kind of like the culmination of those million years. Well, you could have done that with, I mean, thousand years, you could have done that with Monel. And still have a Legion connection because in the six issues I've read so far, five issues or whatever, she's not doing anything. Mm. <laughs> True. 
So I don't know why. When I got to this part and I thought, I don't know what my brain was trying to equate. I was like, wait a minute. Why couldn't it have been him? So anyway, that's a tangent. <laughs> okay. So do you have anything else? Because we're, we're going long-winded today. Yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, no, I, I had... I had well uh, okay I'll just throw these in just some minor things uh that I liked because uh just little details about the characters you you mentioned this already uh, comedian boy is inviting sunboy to play chess uh you know that's just just a little detail you know the the two having this this thing that they do together and you you couple that with last issue where sunboy was over I think it was sunboy he was overseeing the repairs after monel's uh, tantrum you know, just so we're seeing Sunboy do these little. He's always just kind of there doing things. He's overseeing things or he's interacting with things. Not to mention the whole playboy aspect that we've talked about before. Uh, he seems to be a bit of a womanizer, maybe. So you know, just expanding the the limits of the character a little bit in just very small ways. Uh, on the, and the inverse to that, though, Block has really only just become a sounding board for Timberwolf, so he's becoming less interesting, uh, which is bad because you know he's he is a rock. Uh, <laughs> There's not much else for him to do, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Then sit there and listen to Timberwolf, and then finally, were you? I I'm either I totally have forgotten this. Uh, or this is a new element, and I just haven't noticed, or or it's an it's an existing element, and I just haven't noticed it before. But I was for some reason when I got to that scene with Polar Boy uh, in the uh, in the pool scene with Magnetic Kid and Telus, I, I I guess I didn't realize that he was blonde. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So uh, again, I, I maybe that's just a detail I've missed uh, over the years or, or forgotten. I don't know, but that would just I think, I, it I just think struck we saw me. it in a. DC Comics Presents issue, I thought. Okay. Well, then let's get to the backup story. Backup story. Do you have a synopsis of this at all? or I have two lines. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so uh, this is Togetherness, written by Paul Levitz. This is, this is I, I mentioned this at the, near the top of the show. The artist on this one is Norm Brayfogle and Mike DiCarlo with Arn Starr doing some uh, inking assists, uh, John Costanza, Carl Gafford, Karen Berger. So uh, in this, it's it's just a real quick uh, tale between Timberwolf and Lightning Last. They're helping to clear a coastal bridge accident for Schwan Aaron, but it turns out to be a ruse on Bryn's part to get Ayla alone so they can talk. And then Bryn gets a little... <laughs> this, I'm, I'm editorializing the synopsis here. Bryn gets a little too close and clingy with her, causing her to react a bit angrily. But that's certainly... The com- the quick conversation they have lets him know, I hope, it certainly lets me know how she's feeling, that in no uncertain terms, they are, they're basically done as a couple. So that was long and coming, I think, this this scene. Um, we've, we, we've gotten at least one, maybe a couple scenes in previous issues with these two uh, where Timberwolf is trying to talk to her and she has basically brushed him off and maybe even more directly said, you know, leave me alone. But he keeps trying. He's, he's like the, he's like the puppy dog that uh, keeps trying to ingratiate himself with, with uh, his, this maybe this is a bad or a poor choice of words, his master. But, (laughs) She's not having it, so 
I don't know. What did you, what did you think of this particular story? Well, it's, it's a follow-up to issue seven where she returns to the team and they have, he, he again sort of puts himself in front of her and Mm -hmm. demands some kind of explanation. And at that time we were like, okay, do we, are we ever going to get a follow-up? Well then after that, we get the storyline of Timberwolf enacting Karate Kid's will. And so, so this confrontation is post lightning lasses change in character and post Timberwolf's change in character. Mm-hmm. Right. So, it, okay. So it feels like, all right, so lightning last had a change. They had a confrontation. Timberwolf had a change. Now they have another confrontation. And I walked away by the end of it going, okay, is there going to be a third one where they come together on? I don't know it because the beats are almost exactly the same from mm-hmm. seven. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a rehash. He wants to know why she just up and left. She tells him th- the same thing that he wasn't there for her. Um, that the relationship right now is only as legionnaires. The difference between the first scene and the last scene though, is her final thought are her final thoughts. Mm -hmm. The first, the first time she's like, there's nothing between us. Goodbye. We're legionnaires. Now she's saying, Oh, I do love you, but I can't go back. And I think it speaks more to her character because of whatever's going on with Vi maybe in that she, because that's a change. She, where she may have blocked out her feelings to Timberwolf before she's sort of owning them now, but also realizing that is a part of me I will never have again. And maybe a part I don't want. And I feel like once again, it's back on Timberwolf to realize that or to come at her with a new tactic, not to win her back, but to realize that he has changed now, or, you know, maybe Paul Levitz has forgotten that, but that he, he, he almost, um, she deserves better from him. You know, like I, I sort of took, took away that he's still coming at her with the same tactic. It's not going to work. Right. You know, and she's different. Not only is she a legionnaire now, she's different in her emotions. So that was my biggest takeaway with this story wise, because art wise, it's, it's so good. It's Norm Brayfogel before he became Norm Brayfogel, you know, and it's, it's actually a nice, I thought, companion to the first story art wise. It's not very jarring. It's kind of, it's very similar in many ways. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, there's, there's a few things in it that I just like some of the camera's perspectives, some of the shots, the, the characters look very on model when she lets loose with her powers. It's, it's great. So in many aspects, I was like, well, we kind of read this story again. And really only the only thing I got out of it was the ending. So I don't know if, if there's a third story, which I don't know if there is. I doubt it, but I don't know. I'm hoping it finalizes this because this one just kind of eh, I was like, yeah, we've been here. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that 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 final panel where she's thinking to herself, I mean, she doesn't even say this to him, but she's admitting it. To herself and for us, you know, I love you, Bryn, but I can't take you back. I can't. And so depending on where you put the, the emphasis on those words, it could lead some people to think that she is resisting wanting to go back to Bryn for some reason, by maybe 
maybe some other reasons that we're not privy to yet. Or you could you could take it as as I do now, uh, which is like you said, this he was a part of her life that is now over. And there there's no turning back. She's she's made a decision as far as uh he is concerned, and and that's it. Yeah, it's clear that Levitz likes this character. He likes Lightning Lass, mm-hmm. and he just wants to give her a spotlight. And I know there's some other things coming up much later with her, um, even though I don't remember the details. Yeah, I, 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 I really don't have much more for it. I wish I did. I wanted more, but that's that's kind of it. Now, outside of anything else about this, in terms of the art, one of the things in kind of response to this is if you go to the letter column about this issue in issue 30, Paul Levitz even says, now again, this is another six issues later, we have not seen the last of the Timberwolf light last relationship, but no predictions on where the subject will pop up next. Okay. So it's like, oh, okay. All right. However, in this issue's letter column, which probably was written, I don't know, you know, like while this issue was being created or whatever, he says here in a response to Peter Brewer, uh, who apparently was the first person to guess who Sensor Girl is, Paul Levitt says, Romantics that we are, we'd like to believe that sometimes the course of true love runs smooth. Not that people don't argue, but it can just be about events and concerns without threatening the relationship. I think he's talking about Star Starboy and Dream Girl. Then he's, Paul Levitt says, nevertheless, more on Lightning Lass and Shrinking Violet is in progress. Now, Levitt said in that interview, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so he's <laughs> lying. He clearly, no one, again, I'm, I'm done with this whole notion that, well, it was just sort of subtle and, and it wasn't really there. No, it's there. Paul Levitz is telling you right there, more <laughs> on Lightning Lass and Shrinking Violet. It is there. So you add that plus what's going on in the letter columns and it's just, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to see where it is. I really just feel bad for Timberwolf because it's like, wait a minute, he's had a growth and I, I'm not mm-hmm. seeing it on the page oh, and no. that's frustrating. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's you know, go back to the opening of this issue with him complaining to Blog. It's just like, oh my God, we've, we've seen this at least once, maybe twice before. Not the, he doesn't seem to be evolving at all. And, and this story demonstrates that as well so yeah so speaking of (laughs) letter column writers so i had two things regarding this backup story in particular one thought that this story saved this issue and the the other one said uh that this was the quote best backup story and even one of the best stories of the year Hmm. i I don't know about those things but (laughs) I certainly, I no, I do know. I I do not agree. I don't think that this this story saved the issue, nor do I think it's one of the best ones. But I mean, it is good for the reasons that that we've talked about. Right. Yeah. There's not much else to it. Um, I will add, though, I did find uh, a thematic connection between the two. I thought was interesting. Okay. And it's it's a very maybe a, a bit of a tenuous connection, but 
both of the both the stories they both have women leaving something at the end. So Sensor Girl is leaving uh, the team, uh, and Lightning Last, of course, you know, uh, leaving physically, but also you know, thematically leaving Timberwolf, and. Not only that, but then you have this this uh, comparison between the two sets. So you have Sensor Girl and Lightning Lass uh, versus an overbearing slash demanding Legion slash Timberwolf. So I I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading into it a little too much, but it seemed like there were some obvious, uh, like I said, thematic connections between the two stories. Well, you can add a third person leaving because uh did you catch the little interlock at the end of the first chapter uh no so ultra boy looks at sensor girl's mask and then says sensor girl's costume was empty it says end and down oh, below yeah. an interlock it says by l m larry malstead <gasps> is leaving the book oh no yep that was his last inking job yeah i i saw i saw the text and i saw it was in her like i'm like mm, I'll, I'll ask peter <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah i'm fairly certain we got mike DiCarlo for a while beyond this although i have to say mike DiCarlo and arn star did a really great job on the second chapter well yeah and 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 i mentioned earlier about you know the inker what the inker can do with with the artist uh in relation to the tales cover and then we get this this backup issue and uh yeah i mean you you mentioned how this is this was early norm bray fogel i i sort of i mean maybe, maybe it is maybe it isn't but you know it's it's i think of norm bray fogel batman right? yeah like it, late, late exactly. 80s early 90s so when i saw him here in 1986 i was like oh Oh, I didn't. Okay, that's yeah, cool. Well, yeah, and and that's just it. Uh, I would not have recognized. I I would not have recognized him as or this art as as Bray Fogel's art, um, because it is so. And and maybe his style. He he. You know, he had a different style. You know, you know how artists will develop that over time, but it's very clearly Mike DiCarlo inking this, and he's such a heavy inker. You know, he almost overpowers. I think the penciler, and uh, we've talked about that before, and I can clearly see. DiCarlo in like uh, the third, especially the third page where we get that bottom, that bottom panel showing uh, or uh, displaying Ayla's face. It looks just like images I've, I had seen when I was reading the New Teen Titans series when DiCarlo was inking at that time. He's just, he's just a, a very distinctive, he has a very distinctive style. But as I said, it's, it can be, overpowering to the penciler uh, that's neither here nor there i just thought it was you know interesting that we got different inkers doing these things and, and altering uh what i think of as the penciler's style yeah and i don't know if it's part arm star or whatever but like the the same page the, the second to last panel of light last where where the blacks aren't so black you know there's some brush stroke there's some line work there mm-hmm um, instead of just being like a solid color, I think really at, lightens it up a little bit. And I, part of me is hoping that maybe if it is DiCarlo, he's learning that on Baxter paper, it gets, it's really, those lines are thick. So you have to like lighten it up just like, like on the next page where lightning glass is going all power crazy and Timberwolf is kind of recoiling. Like his face looks great. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. highlighted. It's got 
it's got shadow work and it's got line work, but it's not so dark. It's not so thick. You know, right. there's there's some brush strokes to it. There's just some lightness to it. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see because I'm fairly certain, like I said, we are we are in Mike DiCarlo territory from now on. So. Ah, okay. Well, that'll be interesting to to see how I react to this then. <laughs> My one last note is, uh, again, the letter column about this issue, 24. This is from Jay Hill. 24 was very solid and could have been more aptly titled A New Beginning than Issue 17, and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So at the end of year two for the beginning of year three, this is a pretty pretty decent issue, so. It has it has to be because we talked two out more than two hours about it. Yes. <laughs> well, we're going to talk a little bit longer. Uh, I have I have a few notes here from the Legion Companion book that I okay. thought were interesting relating to this particular issue. Well, I guess related. So I I noted or when I was reading I, I noted that uh, Laroque said he'd like to uh, assign actors to the characters so that he'd get a feel to what he wanted to do with them. And uh, considering that Emerald Empress uh, has a significant uh, amount of page space in this issue, uh, I wanted to note that uh, his, uh, LaRocque's choice for an actor for Emerald Empress was Sybil Danning, who, uh, who, was, who is, I think, still an Austrian-American actress, model, and film producer. Uh, she was best known for her appearances in B-movies, during the late 70s and early to mid 80s. Uh, she was in Roger Corman's space opera cult classic Battle Beyond the Stars in 1980 and appeared uh, at a bunch of films throughout the, the early to mid 80s, including Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, and Reform School Girls in 1986. And I, nice. had, uh, I had tweeted <laughs> a, uh, a picture of Sybil Danning. Oh, right. Okay, that's what that was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know. What do you think, Peter? Did, uh, do you, do you see Emerald Empress in that, uh, that picture I chose of her, of the actress? Uh, you know, somewhat. Somewhat. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how I felt about it too. But yeah, that's interesting. Oh, and, uh, finally, I did not realize this is just, this is neither here nor there in terms of the, the issue, but in the letter column from issue 30, they made mention in that, you know, that little, um, I don't know what they call it, but the yellow box where they just kind of go through a bunch of different things from from people's letters. I didn't know that DC was considering doing a Legion Spotlight series like the like the Teen Titans Spotlight. Oh, right. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. That would so, have been great. Yeah, exactly. And and I think the response that Levitz threw in there, or, or maybe it was Karen, but uh, that while they decided not to do that, what they are going to do, you know, uh, pitch pitch is is you know coming up as the cosmic boy miniseries and i don't know maybe they mentioned something else but but yeah that i i would have i would have loved that i would have bought that uh that spotlight series if they'd done the legion one i think part of it was their post post crisis new 1986 87 dc universe and and they were trying to i think they knew things were expanding in different ways mm-hmm. so you know they had to leave some of that room for all the new titles that they were going to put out. So some of those things might've gotten pushed away. Well, and at this point too, maybe, you know, like the the tales comic is not selling very well. And granted it's a reprint uh, title, but you know, maybe, maybe the excitement uh, over the Legion is waning a bit. 
And so Mm -hmm. they didn't feel like they could support another new title. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing. All right. Well, let's go to other areas of the DC universe at this time in 1986. Uh, This is uh, the month of April when we're going to talk about who's who 17. We only have one Legion entry, the persuader. Once again, the Legion books and the who's who books (laughs) matching up, which is cool. Yeah. And then uh, also going to talk about Booster Gold number six. So I have uh, just a few notes about the who's who. In the letter column, they make mention that History of the DC Universe was to be three issues, which is kind of weird. I thought it was always supposed to be two, but I guess that's kind of cool. My notes about Persuader, he is totally in need of a costume revamp. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting to learn... I don't know why I didn't know this, that he is apparently stronger than a normal human Mm -hmm. because of gravity. So that's good to know because it's always so inconsistent, I feel. Like, what exactly – is it just about the axe? Is it about other things? So it's kind of nice to know that, oh, okay. So there is some strength behind the character. So, great. So now I know why he can go up against, like, Ultra Boy and Mon-El, you know, because – Maybe he's not as powerful as them, but he does have some strength. So that was that was what I learned from reading that entry. Well, and and they had also demonstrated that strength uh, in his first appearance in the Adventure Comics um, uh, issue three fifty two, I think it was. Uh, he burst through a wall basically, and they commented about how what great strength he has. But uh, they didn't make any mention of like a higher gravity thing. Uh, higher gravity world origin. Um, and so that's what I learned reading this was, you know, I, I like how they explain that away given, given that, that little detail. Plus, you know, I, I've always liked his, you know, it's such a silver age thing, you know, this atomic axe, atomic <laughs> that can, can slice through gravity even. So, you know, it, it, it affects the fundamental forces of the universe. I mean, that's just a cool idea that, they really don't do a whole lot with other than he could conceivably kill any character that he swipes the ax at, but he usually doesn't. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great concept that they don't take to the next level, uh, with this character. Why is he called persuader? Cause he'll persuade you to pay up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> such a weird name. It, right? it is. It, it, it's such a, well, you know, they, they make mention his crimes were generally variations on the ancient protection racket. So I, yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not really with a, for a guy that ha- has such a powerful weapon, he's such a low rent villain. I guess that makes sense. That, that's a good enough explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else about that? No. Okay, and then finally, like we said, Booster Gold number six. We've been following this title because there has been a Legion connection with Booster wearing a Legion ring. Uh, certainly, um, this whole notion of Booster Gold and and the future played out in the Legion of Superheroes Millennium issues a tiny bit. So there's a connection there. And we get a little bit more of a connection in this issue, and we'll get more of a connection in some of the next issues. So... This is Booster Gold number six. It is the origin of Booster Gold by Dan Jurgens, Mike DiCarlo and company. 
I always like the cover of this one where, where it's kind of like a, a turnaround of booster gold and like, uh, you know, the glove and the ring predominantly right there, you know, finally, because sometimes Jurgens draws the ring and then sometimes doesn't, which is always so weird. And the whole thing is that, uh, real quick, uh, uh, an alien crashes to earth. It's miniature sized. It comes across a boy and it shows the boy the symbol of Superman. So the boy goes to Metropolis or is in Metropolis and and he's like, okay, we got to find Superman. So he winds up meeting up with Booster Gold and Booster Gold creates this fake emergency so that Superman will come to Booster Gold and and then they'll figure out what to do about this alien. You know, something's, something's coming. And in the meanwhile, we get a, a little sequence between Superman and Skeet, Booster Gold's robot companion, about the origin of Booster Gold. That he's from the future. He is from uh, the 25th century. He's from the year 2486. And the he was a football star in college. He, he went to college in Gotham City, which is kind of fun. But then he used to bet on his own games and it was found out and there was a scandal and he left his family. He had a mother and a twin sister that we learned and eventually winds up at the Space Museum. Yay! I love the Space Museum, which was a 50s, 60s sci-fi DC concept where a young man would take his son into the Space Museum and tell him stories about the past. And... Um, here we get the, the space time, the space museum. It's kind of cemented within the DC universe, and much like the Legion of Superheroes Millennium issue, Booster Gold gets the notion of um, what it would be like to be a superhero back in the 20th century by seeing all these little vignettes here and there of, of what's going on in you know at that time. So he decides to, to steal a whole bunch of stuff including a Legion flight ring, including a time bubble that belongs to Rip Hunter. So Booster Gold's like a night watchman. And he gets some gloves. He gets control bands that belong to an alien menace. I'm not sure if we ever find out what that's from. So about the ring, though, they don't say Legion flight ring. They say a ring that enables its bearer to fly and a force field belt, both of which were once used by a green-skinned individual who helped save a president's life. And that's a story that will be coming up in Booster Gold in a couple issues. So again, sidestepping any mention of the Legion at this point, but clearly using Legion concepts between the ring and the uh, force field belt. And then he takes Rip Hunter's uh, time machine and travels back to the past. He also takes a 20th century credit card, which I don't know how that's supposed to work, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes back in time. Superman is not happy. He basically calls him a 20th century thief, and uh, which is true. And then I also love Booster Gold sort of retaliates and says, look, you know, you aren't the lord of the superheroes, you sanctimonious jerk. And then that's where they're attacked by the aliens, and that's where that issue ends. So there's a lot to take away here with the origin of, of Booster Gold. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts real quick. What did you did you get a chance to read it? What'd you think? What'd you, what'd you just think of this sort of off story? Yeah, I, I read it. Um, I, 
you know, I always, I like you, I always love the, the space museum stuff. And, and, uh, I like how it's revealed that he's incorporated all these things that have been, I, I, you know, if you're, re- if you were reading the, the booster gold series at the time, you know, were a bit of a mystery. So how, why does he have it? How did he get it? That kind of stuff. So we finally get all that. I'm glad to hear that you, you you say that uh, the that the green the green skin individual thing get uh, we actually see that because I was when I read that I was thinking well how did how did these two artifacts get in get to the 25th century uh, from the 31st century so <laughs> uh, or 30th century I'm sorry I'm confusing my two Legion books now so that, uh, I'll, I'll have to definitely read that that upcoming issue to to find out more of the details and and i i guess really the thing other thing i really like about this issue is the conversation and the philosophies argued between booster gold and superman you know the superman you know uh, as you just said uh, booster gold says you know you're not the lord of the heroes you sanctimonious jerk but you know they both have they both have valid points right yeah he he stole some things, but he's trying to do good. But then he's also trying to make money off of it, you know. <laughs> and and Superman's, you know, the 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 moral it takes the moral high ground, as as he often does. So it, it, I, I, they don't really play with that too much. I mean, they they make their points, but then they, you know the the plot of the story moves on, uh, moves them on from that. So I you know it'd be interesting to see more of that conflict between the two characters or concepts even with other characters play out. Um, so as, as, as much as there is a Legion connection to booster gold, you know, I'll be reading now, uh, reading the issues along with you to see how that, how that plays out, uh, specifically, but the, the stuff I just mentioned between him and Superman, but, but yeah, there was, you know, I haven't been all that enamored with, uh, with booster gold as we've been reading these issues so far, but this one, uh, I really, took a liking to well here's where this issue i think is makes itself important within the larger dc universe because for a number of reasons unlike some reviews that i've read in online about this issue that said the post-crisis superman wasn't really showing up anywhere at this point well that's not true because action comics superman and dc comics presents were still going on at this time but that's still under Julia Schwartz. Those titles are still the pre-crisis Earth-1 Superman, even if he's talking about like post-crisis stuff. And we're supposed to be ramping up for the John Byrne Superman, which will come out in, in June or July of, of this year of 1986. But we're not there yet, right? It's still April. We haven't even gotten Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. This version of Superman, outside of an appearance in like um, Justice League of America 250, this is kind of the first real appearance of the post-crisis Superman that is the closest to John Byrne's version because he does not recognize the Legion ring. Oh, true. He clearly says... Your ring is particularly complex, obviously the product of a superior technology. If he was Superboy, he would know who that is, what that ring is. Mm -hmm. It has an L on it. So 
I think this is that, you know, that weird limbo Superman that is just on the verge of becoming the John Byrne Superman, where maybe there's some, I, I have to wonder what's going on in the background. Like, do they know, okay, we're separating Superman from the Legion mythos. And did Dan Jurgens know this at this point? Because it's, it's right there. He does not recognize the ring. The other thing that this issue does, and we talked about this last episode too, is it talks about um, that there's gaps in time, right? Like there's there's a void in time. There's a tremendous gap in our historical records. Skeets talks to Superman. And that's the same thing that was going on in issue number 23 of the Legion of Superheroes. We're going back into the 20th century. Information is lost. The time stream is all kind of, you know, wonky. And... I made mention at that time, you know, Skeet says it again, our knowledge of your era is sketchy. And I, I sort of wondered, okay, was this a DC thing where they're like, all right, let's look at what titles we can talk about the new rules of time travel. We can talk about it in the Legion. We can talk about it in Booster Gold because he's from the future. So on that level, that's huge. That's, that's really kind of huge that, that they're playing along here. Now, you you sort of get the sense, okay, that maybe this is Superman that kind of plays in the burn playground, but yet it's still the Julius Schwartz Superman because he talks about like, oh, he has knowledge of that alien language, right? Like he, he has experience of the larger universe of aliens and their civilizations. That's not really something that Byrne played with early, you know, the, 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 Bronze Age Superman was the one that could speak, you know, a million languages and and knew things about the universe in an intimate way, not just the way that Burns Superman learned about it from from just sort of like the teachings of Jor-El. So so that's an interesting notion. So that splash page where Superman is standing there with Booster Gold at the dam or wherever they're at, like I'm like, okay, there it is. Is if if my research is right. And, the, and the, the issues from 1986 that I have and using the DC Universe app and other places, this might very well be the first appearance of the closest thing to John Byrne Superman that we get before John Byrne. Mm. And I, I just think that's a fascinating notion. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what John Byrne, how John Byrne felt about that. <laughs> or like I said, maybe there was, maybe the, maybe there was some communication. I mean, Jerkins is inter- interesting in in the regards that okay so we know that he has a lengthy career on superman as well and he's laying some of the groundwork here like you know metropolis centennial park which was something that is very prominent within his run and i don't know if this is the first appearance of it but um that's a very jurgens thing i don't know i just i really dug everything about like learning all this and kind of putting it into play within the larger conversations that we're having here on the Legion podcast. Yeah, I, I, I would I have to believe that there, that there was some communication and some planning uh, about what they were going to do with Superman at this point, given, given what, you, what you quoted that Superman says about the Legion ring and the way that it's presented here on the page where, you know, you, you see, clearly see the L of the, of the, of the ring and there's no, you know, Superman makes no mention of the Legion, as you said. So yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think, uh, you've hit on something very interesting. So when we get that two parter with the Legion that's coming up 
it's uh, um, I don't remember Superman's in it, but it's going to be interesting to see. And the only other appearance that Superman really has at this time outside of his titles, which, again, are still kind of stuck in Julius Schwartz mode. The only slight appearance that he has is in Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Where we just get the hint, we get like bits of dialogue or we see him talking to the president, but we don't actually see him. And that's a whole other tale you know that's a whole other continuity but the feeling of that superman that frank miller is playing with is also kind of evocative of what john byrne is playing with too i think the way that frank miller plays with superman in dark knight returns is then echoed in the way that they play with superman and president reagan throughout legends um it's clearly a direct connection Mm. between the two you know not that he hasn't ever met a president before but just the way that they talk so and all of this is laying groundwork for the eventual superboy story that we're going to get which is the only reason why i'm really paying attention to it because it makes sense so yeah i'm looking forward to reading more and seeing if it plays out differently Mm -hmm. later okay have we talked enough i think we are talked out on this issue Uh, give us an issue and we'll give you three hours worth of content. <laughs> Boy, I, I honestly, Peter, I thought this would be a quick one just based on the kind of the, the, how light the plot really is. But yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So next up we'll have uh, Legion of Superheroes issue 25. That'll be the next time, uh, that'll be the next issue that we cover. So if you're playing along with us, please let us know what you think of issue 25 That'll be the start of year three, and it'll also be the start of the wrap-up of this Who is Sensor Girl mystery. So all of these things that we've been talking about, we'll have to see if any of it sort of plays out or if it goes in a whole new way. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. So if you don't know who Sensor Girl is by now, you're going to find out next issue. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Okay. Anything else? I think I think it's time to to head on out. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Long live the Legion, Legion Project, Project podcast. podcast. Take care, Eric. You too. Bye bye, Peter.